This episode of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by CastBox. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app where you can find all of your favorite podcasts, and it's available on both iOS and Android. You can listen to Sacred Symbols via whichever service you choose, of course, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot. We think they're pretty rad. To get each episode of Sacred Symbols three days before the public, completely ad-free, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. Perks for support include not only getting the show early and ad-free, but you can also gain access to monthly exclusive podcasts, and supporting on Patreon is the only way to get your listener mail read on the air, and much more. Plus, supporting Sacred Symbols on Patreon also nets you perks for other Collins Last Stand shows automatically, including the Nostalgia and Retro Podcast Knockback, the YouTube series dedicated to gaming called SideQuest, and the eclectic interview podcast Fireside Chats. Thank you for your generosity, kindness, and support. Without you, Sacred Symbols and all things Collins Last Stand would not exist. But enough of that. On to the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. I think this is episode 25, but I could be wrong about that. I have no idea. My name is Colin Moriarty. This is Chris Raygun, my co-host. Chris, thank you for joining me today. Of course. How are you? I'm doing well. I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's been a while. It feels weird to have gone this long without recording. I know. It's probably the first time we've done this, isn't it? It is, and we're going to do it again today because we recorded two episodes two weeks ago. They went up as normal. We're going to record another normal episode today, another kind of evergreen episode about our favorite moments that will go live next week. Then I'm going to record a solo episode, a fireside chat type episode because you're going to be out east with your family. Yeah. And then we'll return for our Game of the Year episode, I think, the second week of January. So uninterrupted flow of shows. It's just, you know, a matter. It's a menagerie, as it were, of different types of shows. But it's good to see you. Of course. You look kind of like you're about to rob a house. Are you casing my house? (laughs) You have, like, your black hoodie on, a black sweatshirt. I'm dressed like I'm ready to go back out to New York, just completely decked out in gray and black and a a beanie. I take take the opportunity now that it's kind of cold, like coldish, that I'm, uh, you know... Finally able to wear like long sleeve shirts, hoodies and beanies and stuff that I would look like a psychopath if I wore during like June. You look very well put together. The first thing I saw you when you were waiting outside my building, your back was turned towards me. I was like, you look like a character from The Division. Actually. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing. That was you one of the things that turned me on to The Division was at first. It, was all the, yeah. The, I, I look, oh man, this this is recognizable to me. Everybody's in a beanie and they look miserable. Yeah. Oh, it's, <laughs> but it does me good to see you, Chris, and thank you for joining me today as we record two of these episodes. I was out east in Philadelphia, and then I was in Virginia. My dad came from Long Island with bagels, but I didn't have to go to Long Island to see him. But man, it was cold. In Philadelphia, I'm telling you, it was really, really, really cold. Horrifying. A little bit better in Virginia, though. Yeah, it's a different kind of cold out there. Now, Chris, we have a lot to get into today. There is quite a bit of news. I want to catch up on some stuff. I do want to remind everyone that Sacred Symbols posts every Tuesday on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. You can get it ad-free three days early. If you support us over there, we really do appreciate it. If you don't listen to us on Patreon, that's okay. If you listen to us on free feeds, please leave us nice reviews on the podcast service of your choice. And by the way, people have noticed, I don't know if you've listened to any of the shows on the public feed, but people have noticed that ads are being inserted now into our podcast, like random ads. Mm-hmm. And that's because we signed a deal with a group called Studio 71 that's selling ads on our behalf now on our free feed. Again, you can avoid those completely on Patreon. Patreon gets no ads. And it's funny, I don't insert those ads. So there's like random things. There was like this very bro podcast that was like inserted like an ad for it, like in the middle of our podcast the other day. I don't do anything about that, but continue to give me your feedback and I'll continue to shoot it up the ladder so that we can make it a better product for you guys. Thank you for your patience on that front as well. 
Chris, while I was gone, something very big happened. Mm-hmm. David Lunick wrote into us on Patreon. And remember, you can write into us on Patreon as well. That's how you get your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas read on our show. He says, Chris, congratulations on summoning Crash Team Racing. Thanks to both of you for making Tuesdays great again. You must have been excited. This oh, happened man. right when I left. During the Game Awards, I was so uh, I was waiting for it. Because I, 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 I know they had that picture with the dice. That uh, came, it was like fuzzy dice that said uh, that went out to random people in the in the games media and games press. It said sliding into the game awards 2018. I was like, oh well, I know what that is. And if I don't, then they're doing something very cruel to me. But fortunately, I was right. Crash Team Racing is, is coming back, and I, I I take full responsibility for willing it into existence. You did. You absolutely did will into it existence. <laughs> I was very excited for you, and I couldn't believe, and I still can't believe that they're actually really doing it. But it's, it's they a, are. It's a great game. I know it is, but you think that they would have just kind of shoehorned it as DLC or something into the other pack. It seems like a weird standalone game, for, in my opinion. It is definitely an odd standalone game. I, I'm baffled that it wasn't part of the the Insane Trilogy. It seems like a very odd standalone thing, but I think it's like $40 or something like that. I think it's it's one of those. It so. has a release date? Yeah, it's like June 20th or something like that. Okay, June so we'll have to wait a little while longer. But in about six months' time, you'll be playing that, Chris. I was very excited when I saw that for you. Very happy for you. Oh, man. And it's just another of the many things that we've willed into existence. And so we do have to use our powers of good or evil, depending on how you look at them, to will more games into an existence. And we will do that. Jake Whitaker wrote into us and said, howdy, Colin and Chris. With that announcement of Crash Team Racing, I'm starting to feel like the general consensus is that people like older games more than newer ones. Not to say there aren't fantastic newer games. Do you think games that we're playing now will be remastered in 20 or 30 years? That's interesting. I, I don't know if people like older games more than they like newer games. I think it's more so that there's a sense of security and a sense of comfort in older games. Like when I get a remake of Shadow of the Colossus, I know exactly what I'm getting. So there's no fear of like, oh, what are there going to be loot boxes? Oh, is, is this going to be like an unfinished mess? You know, you know what you're going to get. And I know what I'm going to get with Crash Team Racing, or at least I hope, as long as they like get that right, because I know that that source code is probably not even remotely around anymore, so they probably had to remake that from the ground up. But, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily that people prefer older games. I think it's more of a comfort thing. Yeah, it's nostalgia. And I think, yeah, of course we'll be playing, I think, remastered or re-released games, uh, you know, uh, contemporary games now in 20 or 30 years. I assume that's true. I think that with Super Nintendo or SNES Classic, NES Classic, and the Virtual Console, I think people have a great love for old games, but... I think a mixture of both is what we have now, and I think it's fantastic. And by the way, I do want to say, I, I know I feel, I probably sound stuffy. It's because I am stuffy. I'm getting over a cold. I apologize about that. I'm not usually, I don't know if I sound any different. I feel like I sound different. At least slightly. Oh, does it sound better? Eh, it's, it's about, it's, you just sound stuffier. I yeah. wouldn't say it's better or worse. Well. If this was your normal voice, then that would be normal, wouldn't it? Well, yes. That's a good point. That's a fair point. It would be normal yeah. if this was my normal voice. Peter Lustig wrote into us with a correction. That I actually took umbrage with immediately when I read it. And then I was like, oh, he's actually right. It says, greetings, Colin and Chris. I am writing in for a small correction regarding Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. I guess these 50-hour workdays are starting to take their toll on you guys. Jokes aside, keep up the great work. I look forward to your podcast every week. They're honestly some of my favorites. Well, thank you for that, Peter. On a couple of separate occasions, I believe once in episode 25. So I guess this is an episode 25. I guess this is episode 26. And once several episodes earlier, you stated that Any Creates is the developer of Bloodstained. There was some association with Any Creates in the very beginning. However, they were only involved with the creation of the retro-style Curse of the Moon. The main devs behind Ritual of the Night are Artplay, Deco, and as of last week, WayForward Technologies. Aside from WayForward, neither of the other two devs have anything large-scale under their belt, which is possibly why the extra set of hands were brought on board in the last minute. Perhaps for some extra polish, I, like many others, have high hopes for this game. Well, Peter, you're absolutely right. I don't know why I thought Any Creates was working on both products, so thank you for the correction, and I'm sorry if I misled anyone on that. Chris, what do you think of the Sonic movie? Oh my god. Oh my god, I was so happy. I'm so excited to see this. <laughs> Not for the reason I think that uh, 
a, the executives who pushed this to the front of the line were thinking, but I am baffled that it's a real thing. I thought it was a joke. Every single poster that I've seen for this movie, I thought was a joke. It's no joke. No, it's real. Unfortunately, it's no joke. It exists. Jim Carrey is Eggman. I'm What's so with excited. his legs? His legs are very, very uncomfortably athletic. It's also like the perspective looks weird on that one poster. People have been drawing it. His oh, where, legs where seem they, very where spread apart. Yeah, where the perspective is from between his legs. Yeah, the Golden Gate Bridge, I think, in the... It looks horrible, but I've said in the past, I never will never talk shit on Twitter about Sonic the Hedgehog because then I'll be targeted probably by Sonic the Hedgehog's incredibly, incredibly funny and cutting Twitter account, it you know, and I don't account. want that. They've instilled a great deal of fear in me. Really? In really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they have that much like mob power? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm excited, man. It looks so bad. It looks really, really terrible. It looks like 2019's defining film, wow. to be honest, like because I, I can't even I can't I still am so insanely excited to see how this translates you know it's going to be not good you know it they brought jim carrey out of film retirement to play mr yeah. robotnik or eggman or whatever it's the same guy right eggman I don't, I don't robotnik. i never played sonic well I played like maybe three games you did yourself a huge favor i guess yeah by not doing that i do want to wish everyone by the way a happy holidays you know happy holidays are coming up but this will go live let's see on the 18th so there will be another one for patrons on the 25th but you know hanukkah i think hanukkah is almost over actually yeah i think so christmas is underway i was talking to someone i've never met anyone that celebrated kwanzaa but people out there celebrating kwanzaa i think that's the 26th so anyway happy holidays to you guys or if you're not a celebrator of holidays just a happy day to you wanted to throw that out there and by the way i don't know if you saw this sony's doing a 5 week discount thing a new set of discounts every week for 5 weeks so you guys should continue so check that out as well. Lots of good deals if you want to save money. If you're like me and you missed the Black Friday deal because you were lazy, this is another way for you to get some good <laughs> deals as well. Leighton Irvine wrote into us over on Patreon, Chris. He said, greetings, lads. Recently, PlayStation offered to make me a personalized video of my PS4 life, so I thought I would check it out. Thankfully, it was not hours and hours of spliced together PlayStation camera footage of me jerking off. But instead, it was a brief video that revealed some <laughs> interesting stats like my first ever PS4 game, which was Rezogun. My total playtime was 2,923 hours over 206 games. It also had the games I played the most, which for me was 7 Days to Die at a whopping 345 hours, followed by GTA 5 at 269 hours. I would love to see what your stats would be in the video if you were willing to partake. Many thanks and happy holidays. Did you see this, Chris? This has been making the rounds. My PlayStation Life or my PS4 no, Life. I didn't see it. I saw uh, when I was in the Uber over here, I saw Microsoft had one and I did that for a little bit, but I barely touched it. <laughs> I barely touched my Xbox. It was like really weird stats. So... I've tried to do it multiple times. It's actually a PlayStation Europe initiative, and I've tried to do it multiple times, but it won't let me do it. And I think the reason is, is that as people have been circulating, it's been accidentally, I think, revealing how many games have been sold. Like if you extrapolate trophy numbers from like, they are giving you like specific numbers, like this many people have this trophy. So it's like 70,000 people got this trophy and 6.9% of the people have that trophy. Then you could extrapolate that number of how many people actually bought and played the game. Right. And so I think they might have shut it down. Oh, because weird. of that, but I can't do it. So I would love to see. I'm a little scared to see what my statistics would be. I'm really curious. But yeah, I'm curious as well. So anyway, that's out there. It's a cool little module. Hopefully it'll work for you. It doesn't work for me. They say it's because of demand, but I think it's because there's some unintended consequences of them using it. And finally, before we get into what we're playing in the news, Forrest Hunter wrote into us and said, hi, Colin and Chris. Okay, it's time to decide this one, uh, this once and for all. People have been writing in with all sorts of crazy nicknames for you two, and it's gotten out of hand. Someone tried to pass off a C-cubed, for God's sake. It's total anarchy and we must have order. We must band <laughs> together as a community and hold an election on what to call these two suave gentlemen. Now, Forrest Hunter has a problem. Do we need a name? No. We have we have names. 
It's Colin and Chris. It's fine. I know. I'm fine with that. I, I feel like maybe you want something a little easier to call. I mean, Chris is going by his kind of his stage name even on here. He doesn't go by the, the Maldonado. Yeah. He goes by Ray Gunn here. So there's already a bit of confusion. You can call me whatever you want. You know, whatever you want yeah. to call. I mean, whatever makes you happy is perfectly fine with me. Yeah, I don't know. C cubed is a bit of a, bit of a weird one. Yeah, I, I, I really will admit that. That doesn't even really make sense. Yeah, because that would insinuate that there were three of us, right? Yeah. It's all math. I don't really understand it. We can be C squared, but eh. I'm, I'm not clever enough. It's the end of the year. I'm a little tired. Yeah, it's also a Monday morning. Yeah. This so is I far don't... too uh, demanding right now. Yeah, I just don't have it in me. Chris, what have you been playing? <laughs> I'm playing, uh, I went back to Dying Light. Ooh. Because uh, I really kind of only barely scratched the surface of that game when it first came out. And uh, I'm having a, having a good time with it. But I also have been uh, diving into Just Cause 4, which is ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm having a great time with it. It's it's by no means game of the year or anything like that, but it is uh, remarkably enjoyable for what it is. It's fun to just play a video game in 2018 that allows you to grapple hook yourself to the ground faster than the speed at which you were falling and negate fall damage. It's awesome. Makes no sense. I love it. Have they fixed the gun combat in this? Because this was a big hang up for me in Just Cause 3 that the gun combat seemed weird to me. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was on the sticks or something. It didn't feel right. I didn't play Just Cause 3, in fairness. Oh, okay. So yeah, I guess that's I, a question I, The you last can't Just Cause I played was Just Cause 2, which was ages ago. Yeah, that was PS3 game. Yeah. So, I mean, I never had a problem, really, with the, with the gunplay in it. But it also doesn't feel particularly all that different from what I remember. So I'd imagine it hasn't changed all that much. I'd imagine that your hang-ups with the previous Just Cause are probably still applicable. But it is still a fun sandbox to just blow stuff up in and tether stuff to other stuff and watch it. Watch the world just collapse under the weight of its own <laughs> stupidity. I love it. It's the same main character? Yeah. Rico? It's, it's the same inexplicably immortal main character who can fly, basically. You put a grappling hook in anything, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. But then you add a wingsuit to it and it's like, okay, well, this is, I enjoy this. And what about uh, Dying Light? Talk to me a little bit about Dying Light. One of my favorites of the generation. It's nice to go back? Yeah, it's nice. I think it holds up pretty damn well. It, it's still shocking to me that it's by the same people that made Dead Island because I hate, I hated Dead Island so much. Like, actually, like, really, viscerally hate it. When I got Dead Island, I didn't even sell it back to anybody. I didn't even sell it. I was like, just take this. I gave it to my cousin. Just take this. I don't want this. Get it away from me. Get, get it away from me. Get I the Bodor game away from me. Yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, it's insane that, uh, <laughs> That they managed to just make something so good. It is really weird. Once they got away from Deep Silver, it turned out great for them. And the, and, and the sequel, like we said, I think in the last episode when we were doing our most anticipated games, is being self-published. So they must be doing very well for themselves. Yeah. No, I'm really excited about that now, especially. Me too. Me what too. about you, man? What, what have you been playing? So more Tetris Effect. We don't have to talk about that anymore. Although I do want to shout out. I don't know if it's going to be true where you are or when you hear this, but I've been seeing deals for Tetris Effect for $19.99. Ooh. So I don't know if that's true on PSN, but at retail, I've been seeing that pop up a great price point because Chris and I have been talking that at $39.99, even though it's a great game, it is a little expensive if you don't have like disposable income. I think $19.99 is a perfectly reasonable price for it. I think even $29.99 would have been a reasonable price. So you guys can go check that out. But the game I've been messing with the most is Super Life of Pixel. Now, I have to shout out that I know the guys that published this game, the guy who kind of published it, I think paid for the publishing, used to be the head of Sony San Diego back in the day. So he's a buddy of mine. You can take what I say with a grain of salt. I always want to be transparent about that stuff. But he sent me a code of the game on Vita, and it's basically a really cute game where you play as this little pixel like square guy and it's going through the history of consoles and computer games. So you play, you start off with like playing in like 
black and white, very rudimentary 70s computer games. You do like eight stages of that and then it brings you to like Apple II and then it brings you to like the NES and the Amiga and all that kind of stuff. And you do stages where it introduces components like here's parallax scrolling. Now the stages scroll by themselves. Now you can go up and down and it's very, very cool. It's very difficult and it's not for everyone, certainly. No game is, I would say. I hate saying that, but it is true. Yeah. But it is a, a gruelingly difficult and quite rewarding platformer that brings you through the history of games. And it has the history of the consoles and the history of the computers and why these things are important. So it's really kind of an education at the same time. And it's really, really neat. I like it a lot. I highly recommend it. That and sounds really cool. So those are the games we're playing. I thought I'd have more time, to be honest, when I was gone to play and, yeah. and do and see things. But... You know, six nieces and nephews recording knockback episodes, my nostalgia podcast, seeing family, my mom, my uncles, watching football, eating food. Somehow, I got back two pounds lighter wow. than when I went there, which was remarkable. I have no <laughs> idea how that happened. Just shoved pasta and chicken cutlets and, you know, hero sandwiches that you... just down my gullet. Yeah, no, I don't know how you'd manage that. Unbelievable. Probably the stress, the crushing stress. Yeah, probably. Of being home and just being me, by the way. You know when you wake up in the morning and you're just stressed out for no reason? No, that's just me. <laughs> oh, okay. I know that. I feel like a dying neutron stars in my chest every morning. I have no idea why. I feel like the stress from just entering an airport does wonders for weight loss. You're probably not losing fat, though. It's probably like more like gray matter that you're losing. Well, I'm losing that anyway. Yeah. And I also wasn't smoking, so I was having really, you know, I didn't smoke pot at all when I was home, so... I went 10 days, which is fine. I wasn't really missing it, but I was having vivid dreams. Oh, like, really? there's definitely something to that. I know Joe Rogan was saying that during when that, that month where they didn't do any, they didn't inebriate or whatever, and he was saying he was having crazy dreams. I was having, like, the most vivid dreams I've ever had in my life. Horrifying, some of them. <laughs> you know, so that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Chris, let's get into the news. Let's do it. Chris, I think we should start with the Game Awards 2019. This happened, obviously, some time ago. I know that you're all caught up on it. I'm not going into everything that was announced, but I do think we have to acknowledge yeah, Some of the no, games of that course. happened there. And we already acknowledge, obviously, Crash Team Racing, because that is Chris's games, the game he willed into existence. But number one, the Game Awards 2019 edition was a huge hit. The show, which took place on December 6th, drew a larger audience than the Oscars, according to Variety, with 26.2 million people watching via live stream, up 128% year over year. So many congratulations to them. The Oscars pulled in 100,000 fewer viewers, which is incredible. <laughs> the biggest PlayStation-centric news from the show included the fact that a new Far Cry game, Far Cry New Dawn, was announced and will launch on February 15th as a sort of interstitial title. Mortal Kombat 11's long-awaited announcement occurred and will launch on PS4 on April 23rd. BioWare and EA teased Dragon Age 4, which will presumably be a PS4 and maybe a PS5 game. And perhaps most consequentially, Obsidian Entertainment announced its own Fallout-like RPG called Outer Worlds, which surprisingly is coming to PS4 even though Obsidian is owned by Xbox. Yeah, that, so was, that was interesting. So that was an interesting thing for me. Now, John Apocalypse wrote into us on Patreon like you guys can and said, Greetings, Colin and Chris. Since you recorded your most anticipated games of 2019 after the Game Awards, is there any part of the list you would change after when they showed what they showed there? For me, I would have to put The Outer Worlds from Obsidian at second place, just under Doom Eternal. I just like the setting and art direction, plus seeing the gameplay from Game Informer makes Fallout 4 and 76 look like kitty games by comparison. Also, can Chris tell me why Crash Team Racing is the best kart racer ever? I have never played it, but look forward to it as it just looks like a generic Mario Kart ripoff. Ooh, thanks. Them's fighting words, dude. And keep making Tuesdays great again. So let's answer John Apocalypse in reverse. Talk to us a little bit about why... We know you're excited about Crash Team Racing. And yeah. Obviously, it's a, a little bit of a joke. We willed it into existence. Chris willed it into existence. It happened. But what is it about that game that's so that's actually so exciting in a world where Mario Kart 8, for instance, has sold like 40 million copies? Yeah. I just feel... Listen, I just feel like 
the best way to compare it is, I think Mario Kart is kind of like more of a Gran Turismo kind of game where it's like, hey, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta stay in the lines, really. There's, there's no real room for messing around with the physics in that game because the second you hit grass, you're instantly slower. It's like a completely unrealistic physics model, which is fine because it's like Mario characters, but it's still one of those things where it's like, it feels more like you got to stay within the boundaries of the tracks that they lay before you. Whereas Crash Team Racing feels to me more like a burnout game where it's like, hey, you know what? You're going to hit the grass. You're going to lose speed over time, but you can still manage to get ahead through the grass if you want. If you want to like jump over this huge section of the map, Go ahead and do it. If you're good enough at the game, you can do it. It's more of a mastery thing. I feel like if you're playing Mario Kart, anybody can win a game of Mario Kart, even against somebody who's good at Mario Kart. But Crash Team Racing, if you're if you're against somebody who's good at that game, you're you're no. There's no chance. It's a very skill heavy game. It's deceptively skillful. I don't know that I've played it. I'm trying to think. Like I must have maybe. At well, some you can't point? play it with me because uh, it, it'll uh, you know, I'll make you hate it. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's fair enough. That's a good warning. We yeah. have six months to prepare for me hating it. <laughs> Now, let's go in reverse now. John asked us, Chris, also, if any of the game announcements from the Game Awards might have made our way into our list. And I must say that I think both Far Cry for me and certainly Outer World would be two games that that would make that list. I think Outer World, especially by Obsidian, you can see why Xbox was interested in maybe acquiring them. And I really do feel like now people are... Because we've talked about CD Projekt Red and some of these mm-hmm. other companies putting the screws to Bethesda. But now we have an example of a team that actually used to intimately work with them putting the screws to them as well. Yeah. So what, what do you make of these games? Is there anything you're, you're particularly excited about that maybe if we recorded that episode again, you might have thrown in there? Yeah, I mean, obviously Crash. I think this new Far Cry game I'm kind of mixed on because I this is the first proper sequel, isn't it? Because every Far Cry has been a different character or a different story than the previous one this is the first one that's actually a follow-up i think so i think that the story as far as i know is that you know you had far cry you know far cry originally way back Crytek, and then far cry 2 which is a lot of people's favorites far cry 3 i think that after far cry 4 you had far cry primal which was what people figure out was the same map and them just kind of making a new game but unrelated i think to far cry to that particular far cry so you're right this is the same map it's easy for them to turn it around it's coming out less than a year after the game came out, it's like eight months later. So clearly this was in progress, probably not too hard to kind of turn it around. But I think you're right. I think it is the first continuation. And what's interesting to me about it is it completely spoils the end of Far Cry 5. So if you've not played the the end of Far Cry 5, well, now you know what happens. Yeah, I didn't. Well, now you do. (laughs) Now I know. (laughs) And it was weird because Far Cry 5 ended, you know, I liked Far Cry 5, but it ended and I was like, I don't know. Did that really happen? It was weird. I'm like, did that really, did it, spoilers, did a nuclear bomb really just go off at the end of this game in Montana? <laughs> I guess it turns out that it did. But yeah. I think it looks cool. I'm excited. I'm, I love Far Cry. I'm, I'm excited to play Far Cry. And I feel like Far Cry 5 didn't quite get it the way 3 and 4 got it. So I want to see what... Yeah, I really love 3, but... Um... The Outer Worlds is, is definitely probably like... I'd still say Doom is up there because I just... I know what to expect and I know I'm going to have a good time with it. But I would say, yeah, I think The Outer Worlds is probably like... Would be number two for me. Because I'm really interested in, in what upset that, that trailer too is so hilariously passive aggressive. Yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, I awesome. love it. Yeah, good for them. And I wonder if some of the passive aggressiveness comes from like, did they ever approach Bethesda and say like, we want to make another Fallout game? Was there any a bad blood? Because a lot of people really do consider New Vegas to be the best. Yeah. Not everyone. Some people like four. Some people like they're not saying everybody. Some people like seventy six. But a lot of people, including me, feel like New Vegas is actually a superior game to everything that Bethesda Game Studios has made. So I wonder. If there was some competition brewing and this is a way for them to kind of put their boot on Bethesda's neck along with a bunch of other 
you know, open world role playing developers, whether it's Guerrilla, whether it's CD Projekt. A lot of these studios are really embarrassing Bethesda. Yeah. Especially with Fallout 76 out there in the wild. Yeah, no, exactly. I really do think the Outer Worlds looks really awesome. But Sean McDonald's running into us, Chris. And he said, hey, guys, what do you think of Obsidian's new game, The Outer Worlds, coming to PS4 now that Obsidian is owned by Microsoft? Is it possible that Microsoft just makes more cash if their in-house studios makes games for all platforms? Or do you think this is a one-off situation given that this game was probably in development before their partnership? It's hard to say because it was in development clearly before their partnership, and it might have been what attracted Microsoft to come and buy them. But this isn't the first time we've seen this because We Happy Few, I forget the studio that made that, but they bought that studio and then released that game on PS4 anyway. So it might just be far enough along where they're like, it really makes no sense for us not to release it there. Or it could signal that Microsoft might be amenable to publishing games on other platforms, which would be an interesting look for them too. Yeah. I mean, they also own Minecraft, which is on like every platform imaginable so it's not super surprising that if there's already a, a skew of of the if there's a ps4 version of the outer worlds that's already particularly well along uh and, and well on its way to being finished it doesn't make sense to just not put that out and make less money like because obviously you're going to make less money if you have an exclusive title if your game is on all platforms you're going to make more money this is the basic fact of it i just am really interested to see in the splash screen if it's going to say microsoft you know, on play, mm. yeah, it was just, it's just interesting. I really do think that these two companies, and we've said this so many times, Chris, but I think these two companies are trying to do different things. And I, you know, I think that you might see more of these games on PlayStation platforms, maybe even Nintendo platforms. It, it depends on what they want Xbox to be. You yeah. know, is it possible maybe that PlayStation 5 would have, you know, these are wild things that are, you know, probably won't happen, but it makes you think, like, is it possible that PlayStation 5 would have Xbox Game Pass on it? So, you know, mm. weird shit like that, you yeah. know, where it's like, could you buy would, would Sony allow that? <laughs> would you be able to buy that and allow Sony would definitely not allow that. You know, it's interesting to think about like Microsoft seems to be so open and so loose. They did a commercial for Fortnite with Nintendo. For yeah. instance. So I don't know. It's an interesting thing. I think that this is not necessarily a canary in the coal mine for a new strategy because the game was in development already. But I also think that it's far enough away where they could have been like, just can't, the game's not even announced it. Just cancel the PlayStation version. No one has to be any wiser, you know? So yeah. it's definitely a calculated move. And certainly something that I was surprised more people weren't talking about. Because this was something that when I saw, I was like, what? Yeah, I was really confused. <laughs> that was like the only question I had. Everyone was like really excited about it. But I'm like, they Microsoft just bought these guys. And they're publishing a game on PlayStation, but it seemed like that flew over a lot of people's heads. When I was reading recaps, I didn't see anyone talking about that. Bunch of noobs. Barrett B. wrote in and said, good day, fellas. Hope the season is treating you right. Would you consider the season treating you right, Chris? Uh, it's, it's, it's okay. It's treating you? It's treating me. With the Video Game Awards viewership exploding upwards and the Oscars trending downwards, are we close to a future where the Video Game Awards are televised on major networks and the Oscars will not be? Thanks again for all your hard work you provide to bring us joy. Thank you very much for that, Barrett. That's very nice of you to say. This reminds me a lot, Chris, of the way we feel about, I think, you and I about video game movies. Why yeah. do we need to justify ourselves by doing the things the way that movies do? Them? Yeah, they don't need to. It, the Game Awards don't need to be televised. Also, they were televised a while ago on Spike, if you guys remember that. I used to watch because I remember that because I used to watch them. It didn't make them any more. It made them worse, actually. Like the, back when they were on Spike, it was it was way worse than it, than it is now. I think the live stream format is way better. It's obviously pulling in way more interest <laughs> than the Oscars is. I don't know if I foresee see a future where the game awards supplants the oscars or anything like that i think they'll both probably exist for a very for a decently long time i don't see why one has to come at the expense of the other right and i just want to say one more time we're our own thing we should yeah. do things our own way i think that what jeff Keeley is doing is really interesting because 
Yeah, it was on TV back in the day, and he's migrated away from it. Going to TV is archaic and weird. It, it, it's not where people are watching things anymore. It's yeah. not where we're watching our programming, I think, a lot of us. And so let's continue to pioneer new ways to get our content out there like people have been doing on Twitch. Like YouTube has helped pioneer in podcasting. I think is you know, gaming has done a lot for podcasting. Gaming has done a lot for Patreon. Game, you know, gaming charts its own course, and we should continue to embrace that. So let's stop looking at movies as like this be-all, end-all, because I just don't feel like it is. Yeah. Jan Gree wrote into us on Patreon and said, Hey, Colin, and or Chris. With the announcement of Obsidian's new game, The Outer Worlds, and the involvement of devs from the original Fallout games, do you think this could potentially be another nail in the coffin for the way Bethesda has designed games over the last 10 years? My voice just cracked like Peter Brady. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Will this be the kick up the ass they need to get with the times? Thanks for all that you guys do. So let's talk about The Outer Worlds through the lens of Bethesda. What do you think they think when they see this game? I think Bethesda's probably not in a position to be anything else but worried especially with the way, the way Fallout 76 is launched, especially with the just the optics of all of this. Between the the normal business stuff like the canvas bag and, and just like the fact that the game is completely broken and player engagement is probably going way, way down, I would be very worried. I would be second-guessing our decision to continue working with, what is it, the creation engine? I don't know if this is the kick they'll need. I think the kick that they need was probably Fallout 76's launch. I think that was the kick, if anything. I don't think the Outer Worlds existence is really much other than, I think it's just more added on to this already kind of enormous weight on their shoulders right now. It's interesting because I think that Bethesda Game Studios has the right idea from a design perspective, but it's just everything else that's falling by the wayside. And the more you see these games from these various disparate studios, the more you realize that you're right, the creation engine is not adequate anymore. And it's so weird to me that, on one hand, they own id. We've talked about this in the past. They own id. They own id tech. They understand fidelity. They have a team that can teach them how to do things better. You know, and an open world role playing game, the original Rage was made on id tech. So it's not like id tech couldn't possibly withstand that if they wanted to take it. It seems almost a little hard headed to me that they've not utilized and leveraged the great strength they have with that technology and those yeah. technologies and instead stick with this shitty arcane stuff that, by the way, when Fallout 4 came out in 2015, I was like, remember, this was six months before Witcher 3 came out. Yeah. Or six months after, I should say. And Witcher 3 completely outclassed it from an engine perspective, from a graphical perspective, from a fidelity frame rate perspective. This isn't new. It's just like they're doubling and tripling down on this. And more and more games now are coming out. We're going to see Dying Light 2. That's going to do the yeah. same thing. So I'm not worried about their viability, but I am worried about them if Starfield comes out, which is the next game on the docket for them, and it's not anything but more impressive than this. They have got to go back to the drawing board. And again, this is why they should have never announced those games. Yeah, and it's not to say you couldn't make a good game with an old engine. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure Avalanche is using their own uh, proprietary engine for Rage 2. I think, I think the, yeah, I think it's what Mad Max and Just Cause are doing. Yeah, and that looked, to me, like every gameplay trailer that I've seen, looked it looked like id tech to me. Like, it looked beautiful, and it looked like it functioned well, and it, looked, it looks like it holds up pretty well. So it's not necessarily that you can't utilize an old engine to do good things. But this engine is very clearly just, it's not even that it's old, it's just very clearly not functional in the way that it, that an engine needs to be in 2018. Or even in 2015. Agreed. I think Fallout 76 was a misstep for them, but I did see this. I don't know if you saw this, Chris. I was reading Bethesda's, I think, or maybe it was the original, uh, the official Fallout, rather, Twitter account, but I think it was Bethesda's, where they said, you know, thank you for your patience. Thank you to the millions of people that are playing Fallout 76. And I'm like, you've sold millions of copies of this game? So maybe they don't give a shit. 
Mm. That's kind of possible. When I heard when I when they said they clearly said that as kind of an under the radar like we're doing just fine kind of thing. Yeah. And I was like, you've sold millions of copies of this game, but it was immediately discounted almost at to thirty nine ninety nine twenty nine ninety nine. So that, that got people in. It's an interesting thing about what's real and what isn't, and like what is the loud vocal minority, and is there a majority of people that are totally fine with this game? It's hard to say. You know, it's it's always hard to say in video game culture what's real and what's not. Well, here's the thing: they they can coast off of the brand recognition of Fallout and Elder Scrolls, but the second Starfield comes out, I don't think they're going to be able to rely on just the Bethesda name. Especially now, you know, they've been able to get by because Fallout is so popular, because The Elder Scrolls is so popular. Starfield isn't going to be this thing that, like, you know, people who aren't tuned into the industry are excited about. So I don't, I don't know. I think they really, they really need to reevaluate. The other interesting thing about it is that they were kind of segueing to a full-on sci-fi, you know, series yeah. with Starfield and have been outflanked not only in terms of fidelity but in terms of subject matter by Obsidian with. With their game, which is also a sci-fi space-borne kind of game. So that's another interesting wrinkle to it for me, for sure. It's fascinating. The nerds, they're not happy. No? Number two. Oh, boy. It appears Kingdom Hearts 3 has leaked in its entirety or close to it, causing spoilers to plague the internet some six weeks from the game's actual public launch. Publisher Square Enix and Kingdom Hearts 3's director, Tetsuya Nomura, released a statement about the leak, which not only confirms it, but also ho will hopefully put fans' minds at ease that some of the more sensitive aspects of the game's story simply couldn't have been leaked yet. Here's what the statement said, quote, We're aware that a small portion of Kingdom Hearts 3 has been circulating online before its official release. We are also aware as to how this has all happened. We're sorry to see this cause concern among our fans who are excited for the release. The whole team has been working together since yesterday night, that was, I think, on the 14th or 15th, to investigate what we can do to better the situation. But first, we would like to ask that you do not share these videos. The game's epilogue and secret movie, which are the biggest spoilers in the game, are planned to be released at a later date just in case, so they will not be shown before the game's release. We want everyone to be able to equally experience the full game after its release, so we ask for your continued support on this matter. We're also very grateful that our fans have been warning each other already about the spoilers. Thank you very much. We're one month on from uh, one month out from release, a little more than that actually. Let's enjoy the game together when it releases on January 29th, 2019. Have you seen anything about this? This has been a pretty big I deal. I saw that out this there. happened. I didn't see I haven't seen any spoilers. Now, I've liked the jokes that are going around that no one understands the story anyway, so it's not like anything's really <laughs> happening. <laughs> I had some friends over last night and we 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 were uh, scrolling through YouTube on on my TV and we we were trying to this this video that's a summary of Kingdom Hearts story like what you need to know before Kingdom Hearts 3 and we tried to watch it. it's 39 minutes. We got like 2 minutes in before we we got completely lost. I watched the trailer so for a few of the trailers with my nephew. I got him Smash Brothers, but he had already bought it, so I exchanged it to get him Kingdom Hearts 3 just sent to his house when it comes out. And so I was watching the trailers with him and I was like this is horrifying. I don't know what's going on in this. It's very I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. I think I know a lot of people who really like that game who are also just like I don't know what's going on really, but I'm excited. Yeah, it's cool. And by the way, people do feel like we're attacking Kingdom Hearts too much. We're just yeah, no. doing it. We're doing it in jest. We're hey, Whatever you like. It's the same thing, actually, Chris. I don't know if you saw some of the feedback we got when we were talking about games being censored by Sony. People were like, of course Colin and Chris support the censorship of video games. I'm like, is that what we said in that episode? I don't recall. What? I'm completely delusional, so I don't remember anything that's going on You know, that long ago, two weeks ago. But I recall saying the exact opposite. But anyway, I want you guys to enjoy the the games that you want to enjoy. Please. I insist. Yeah, no, absolutely. It sucks don't. that, it sucks that like, the game's been leaked like that, though. It does suck. I'm, yeah. I am sorry for fans. Just stay away from it. Just try to avoid spoilers. I guess a lot of you... There's just dickheads that go on Twitter and just put shit where you can't avoid it. You know, they'll just answer someone 
Like, I'm sure even if you go to that Square Enix post, I'm sure that there is someone that put, like, the entire video spoiler in there or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, what's interesting in that letter, too, Chris, is that they say that they know how it leaked, but I wonder how it did leak. If they know, they should maybe get into why, how and why that happened. Maybe they just don't see it as information that the public needs to know. It's probably just some employee <laughs> who well, probably yeah, got probably. It. Or maybe media or something. Maybe, yeah. Number three. Metro Exodus, the upcoming kind of sort of open world uh, shooter from developer 4A Games, has gone gold well ahead of its February 2019 release date. And to mark the occasion, publisher Deep Silver has revealed that it will now go on sale on February 15th instead of February 22nd, a full week early. This is weird because I predicted this would happen in our upcoming 2019 games episode. Very weird. A lot of people tweeted me about this. I didn't have any inside information about this at all. just seemed like an obvious choice to push up. (laughs) So, hey, Colin was right. Very good. And I'm super excited about it. Game looks awesome. And we'll have a little bit more about Metro in a little while because there's something else Metro-related that we need to talk about. Number four, Sony has revealed just how well PS4 Pro is doing, and it's doing better than expected. According to website Push Square, Sony's Warwick Light noted in an interview that one in five PS4s sold since PS4 Pro launched in November of 2016 has been a Pro unit, and that 40% of Pros sold were upgrades from PlayStation 4 owners that wanted a new console. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Now I have a Pro and Chris has a Pro. I must say that... I was completely down on the pro when it was announced and came out. I was totally wrong about it. I mean, I, I, I mean, I have to have a mea culpa about that. I was totally wrong about that. So I want to throw that out there. Sydney Linders wrote into us on Patreon and said, Hey, Chris and Colin, I live in the Netherlands. Recently, all PS4 consoles are a hundred euros discount. It seems like this is also the case in the rest of Benelux and Germany. Besides this, Sony is promoting to trade in your original PS4 or any other current gen console for pro to get up to 200 euro discount on the pro. This would be a normal Christmas deal, but I get the feeling that Sony is trying to ship as many consoles as they can before the end of the year to reach the magic 100 million mark. What are your takes on this matter? Do you expect similar discounting coming to the US? This means a PS4 for $189 and a Pro for $289. As always, keep up the good work. I think you're reading into it a little too much from my perspective, Sydney. They're going to reach the 100 million sold, Mark. They don't have to try to reach it. And I don't know if it matters that they do it at the end of this year. I think it matters that they do it by the time PS5 comes out. I think you're looking at this point at maybe 110 million sold cumulatively by the time the PS5 comes out. So I don't think they're really that worried about it. It doesn't seem like it'd be an active strategy to do that. And I love the term Benelux. Yeah. Which is Belgium, the Netherlands, and Luxembourg for people that don't know. <laughs> and I only knew that. I don't know if that's a – I guess that's a term in economics and a term in, that's used in Europe. But I only heard it through PlayStation because they have a Benelux PR team. So that but, taught me something new. Thank you for your letter, Sydney. The more you know. Number five, Amy Hennig, the visionary behind PlayStation's famous Uncharted franchise, is set to receive GDC's Lifetime Achievement Award at GDC 2019, which will be in San Francisco, as always, this coming March. GDC's statement said, quote, Amy Hennig is a powerful figure in the game world. Her work exemplifies what good game narrative can be with pathos, humor, suspense, and energy. She is truly one of the most influential developers in the game industry. These past accomplishments are just milestones in a career that we'll be following for years to come. But for one night at the GDCAs, we'll reflect on the hard work and artistry that makes game developers like Amy the heart of the industry, end quote. Hennig started as an artist at Atari in the late 80s, working for EA, Crystal Dynamics, and IDOS on series like Legacy of Kane. Her directorial debut was with Jack 3, the PS2 exclusive from 2004. She then wrote and directed the PS3 Uncharted trilogy and the original version of PS4's Uncharted 4 before leaving Naughty Dog and going to Visceral Games, where she was creative director working on a since-canceled Star Wars game. Obviously, Visceral Games is no more. Her next project is still unknown. So congratulations to Amy. Yeah. Very, very cool. Number six, speaking of Metro Exodus, it's the third game in the Metro game franchise and is based on a Russian-language post-apocalyptic book called Metro 2033, written by Dmitry Glukovsky. In 2012, Glukovsky sold the temporary rights of his property to movie studio MGM, which was going to adapt it into a film. 
According to the author, however, the movie is no longer in production because MGM wanted to change the story too much. In an interview with VG247, Glukowski said, quote, The project with MGM was optioning the book and developing a script had brought us to nothing and the rights reverted to me. So currently we are speaking with a new set of producers about a possible adaptation, but this is a very long and difficult process. I'm still optimistic. We'll see if the release of Metro Exodus can push the IP across a little bit of oceans and see how that works, end quote. However, MGM wanted to make the setting American instead of Russian and set it in the U.S. capital city of Washington, D.C. instead of the Russian capital of Moscow. Quote, a lot of things didn't work out in Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C., Nazis don't work, communists don't work at all, and the dark ones don't work. Washington, D.C. is a black city, basically. That's not at all an illusion I want to have. It's a metaphor of general xenophobia, but it's not a comment of African-Americans at all. So it didn't work. And then an ellipsis. They're kind of afraid of setting it in Moscow because Americans have a reputation for liking stories about America. Again, with Metro Last Lights and Metro 2033, the books and the games, selling millions and millions of copies worldwide, it's probably not as improbable now that people would accept a story happening in Moscow because that's going to be the unique selling point. End quote. So props to him. Yeah, that's interesting. That bothers me when I read about that. Why yeah. does Metro, You want Metro 2033 to take place in the United States? That's so weird. It's like one of the selling points of the series is that it doesn't take place in the United States. So yeah, I thought that was weird as well. Number seven, Detroit Become Human has officially sold 2 million units, making it a moderately successful PlayStation 4 exclusive. Indeed, having launched in late May and having been on the market for fewer than six months, Detroit Become Human is Quantic Dream's fastest-selling game, surpassing 2 million sold quicker than previous PS3-turned-PS4 exclusives, Heavy Rain, and Beyond Two Souls. Porik Devereaux wrote into us and said, Hey, CNC, I recently played Detroit Become Human and thoroughly enjoyed it. No way should androids have human rights, right? I love that game. Let me have my say and didn't force me to care for these metalheads. My question is, do you think David Cage gets an unfair amount of criticism? So as people know, I love Detroit. I think Chris didn't like quite as much as I did. But what do you think about this fixation on David Cage? David Cage, for people that don't know, is the head, the creative director, writer of Quantic Dream. And he gets a lot of shit from people in the games media and the games press and has for many years. I'm wondering what you think about that and why that might be. I wasn't aware that he was even getting all that much shit for anything. I, I know that uh, people kind of look at his games as kind of like not really games. I know that. It's like, ah, he's he just he's just uh, making games because he wants to make movies but can't or like stuff like that. But I, I've never seen a particularly large or exorbitant amount of criticism levied toward him by games media specifically. Yeah, I don't know that everyone in games media does it, but certainly... And especially with Detroit, a lot of people do attack him and, and attack him with Beyond Two Souls, which I didn't think was a particularly good game and Heavy Rain. But yeah, people do go after him. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's just he's trying something different. And I don't know if that makes him stand out. And clearly, yeah, he does, does want to make movies. But my whole argument with Quantic Dreams games is that people say there's no gameplay in it. But I'm like, it's just it's different gameplay. You're playing it in a different way. So I have no problem with the way that they make their games. I really think Detroit is one of the best games of the year. And I find it unfortunate that people have targeted Quantic Dream. Now, that's apart from all of the legalities and litigious shit that's going on with Quantic Dream. They've been sued for, I think, some some improprieties at the studio and some inappropriateness going on there in France and all of that. So I'm not speaking to that. I don't know enough about that. But I do feel bad sometimes that people go after David Cage like he's like he's done anything wrong. Like he, he he's simply making his games. And if you don't like them, what it's just everything can become so personal. Yeah. You know, and I don't understand. That. Yeah, you, just, you don't have to play him. That's exactly I thought right. Beyond Two Souls was terrible. Yeah, I, I didn't like it at all. That's why Detroit was such a pleasant surprise Yeah, for me. No, it was definitely way better than that. Oh like, God. I don't, I don't yeah. dislike Detroit. I just think it's, of the games that came out this year, it's, it was unfortunately in the, co- in the company of some pretty impressive stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So Number eight. Sony has revealed the best-selling and top-downloaded games on the PlayStation Network for the month of November 2018. The 10 best-selling digital PS4 games for the month were in order. Red Dead Redemption 2. 
Call of Duty Black Ops 4, Fallout 76, Battlefield 5, FIFA 19, Spyro Reignited Trilogy, God of War, NBA 2K19, Spider-Man, and The Last of Us Remastered. The top 10 best-selling digital PSVR games were for the month in order. Beat Saber, there you go. Creed Rise to Glory, Job Simulator, Skyrim VR, Doom VFR, Astrobot Rescue Mission, which I still need to get to, Moss, Firewall Zero, I'm sorry, Firewall Zero Hour, Superhot VR, and PlayStation VR Worlds. The top 10 best-selling digital Vita games for the month were in order, God of War Collection, Jack and Daxter Collection, Minecraft, Stardew Valley, The Bit Trip, Need for Speed Most Wanted, Dragon Quest Builders, Persona 4 Golden, Borderlands 2, and Undertale. Fortnite was the month's most popular free-to-play game, while Grand Theft Auto San Andreas was the month's most popular PlayStation Classic. Hmm. More Fortnite? Did you enjoy watching Michelle Obama dance to Fortnite? No, <laughs> no, not. A, I was so upset that you got, that you tagged me in that. Yeah, well, it ruined my day. I'm sorry to hear that. It ruined my day, and I needed a misery loves company, as they say. So that's fair. I can't blame you. I guess. Number nine, Arc System Works. The Japanese studio best known for the Guilty Gear and Blaze Blue fighting series has announced a new fighting game for PS4. It's called Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, and it's based on the Japanese Grand Blue Fantasy series of RPGs, which are currently only for mobile phones and browsers. This isn't the first Grand Blue Fantasy game to be announced off of mobile and browser, though. PS4 is also set to get an action RPG called Grand Blue Fantasy Relink, and it's being developed by Platinum Games. As Grand Blue Fantasy isn't available even on mobile outside of Japan, it's unclear if either of these games will come westward, but as PS4 isn't region locked, it may be something worth keeping an eye on regardless. Obviously, Arc System Works incredibly talented. Yeah. This series, in reading about it, seems to be pretty big. Some old school Final Fantasy people are involved with it, and there is an ease for them to attract great talent from the likes of Platinum Games and Arc System Works to make complementary games. So my assumption is that all of that will be migrating westward at some point. Number 10, Metal Gear Solid is getting its own board game. The board game is coming by way of IDW Games with the blessing of publisher and IP owner Konami and is simply called Metal Gear Solid The Board Game. The game will be playable at E3 2019 and will launch later that year. Metal Gear Solid first launched on PS1 in 1998. The most recent game in the core franchise, Metal Gear Solid 5 The Phantom Pain, came to PS4 in 2015. Metal Gear Solid creator Hideo Kojima, meanwhile, continues to toil away on mysterious PlayStation-exclusive game Death Stranding. It's weird. So it's just a board game based on the game? I guess so. Because I've played like Metal Gear Solid Risk. Is it anything? It's just, just it's Risk. It's just Risk with the Metal Gear Solid. It's like the Monopoly game. iterations, like Mario yeah. Monopoly and stuff. Yeah, exactly. I love that that Risk specifically. Well, actual flavor wrote into us. I wanted to bring this up only because I guess it's tangentially related. He said, what is Death Stranding? If you have any insight as to what type of game it is, please share. Also, are either of you excited to play, watch, or experience it? What do you think Death Stranding is, Chris? I have no idea. It completely eludes me. I think it's a, a third-person uh, uh, delivery game. Uh, that's what it seems like. It seems like a delivery service of some sort, right? Yeah. I think that's pretty much the consensus at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's, it's Norman Reedus. He's delivering babies. He's like a stork. But let's be clear. He's not delivering babies like at a hospital. He's delivering them seemingly across universes or, yeah. or realities. In the game. It's very weird. It's very odd. I, I feel like Kojima had a fever dream and just was like, I want everybody else to have this also. <laughs> I feel like it's probably what the problem what the pitch was. Do you think when he pitched it to Sony, they were just they didn't care and they were just like, whatever you want to do. We'll just take whatever you probably. want. Probably. I think it's a pretty safe bet with Kojima, to be honest. I think that's uh, yeah, I think it's a safe just bet. Let well. it. <laughs> just let him do it. Just let him do what he does. Number eleven. Kingdom Hearts three comes out on January 29, twenty nineteen, as we discussed. And you'll be able to get the PS4 Pro just for the occasion. A limited edition Kingdom Hearts 3 PlayStation 4 Pro bundle will launch the same day as the game, packing the game itself, a special controller, a special system shell, and a 1TB hard drive, in addition to yet unnamed exclusive online content. 
and it'll only be available via GameStop in the U.S. and EB Games in Canada, and will cost $399.99 in the U.S. and $499.99 in Canada. So if you're a Kingdom Hearts nerd, you don't have a PS4 Pro yet, this might be something that you want, although you'll have to go to GameStop to get it. So no Amazon for you, for instance. Yeah, and PS4 true. Pros are, are hard to come by for some reason. I don't know why. That is odd. Although I guess they're selling super well, so. That could be why. Yeah, look at that. And finally, a brief wrap-up, Chris. Number 12. Square Enix has officially announced the previously leaked Nier Automata Game of the Yorha edition, which will come to PS4 on February 26, 2019. It's real. And Push Square reports that adventure <laughs> game Jenny LeClue Detective Vu comes to PlayStation 4 at some point in 2019. That game looks really cool. That, that name made me so mad. <laughs> Jenny LeClue? Detective Vu? Yeah, that's what it is. It's just a LeClue. rhyme for the sake of a rhyme. Yeah. Detective Vu is not a French word as far as I know. <laughs> Jesus. Chris, let's get into the new game releases. All right. Before let's do we it. do, though. Before we do, Jackie Orson wrote into us and said, hello, Colin and Chris. No questions, just a couple of comments. Ooh. If you guys need any more reassurance to keep reading out the drop, the episode from a couple of weeks ago, the one featuring the three Atelier games, was the funniest goddamn thing, <laughs> goddamn thing I heard all week. Man, I'm really out of it today. I'm sorry. Secondly, when you guys were discussing Control in the most anticipated games episode, Colin mentioned that he believed that the publisher, 505 Games, was going all in on the game and could suffer greatly if it failed. I don't know what revenue split is between publishers and developers, but even so, considering that 505 Games published Rocket League, one of the most successful games of the generation that continues to rake in the money, I would wager that even if Control fails, they will be just fine. Well, Jack, I hate to tell you that they only published the physical version of the game. Oh, really? Psyonix published the original Rocket League by itself. So, no, 505 Games is not, I don't think, in the financial situation that you think that they're in. Hmm. You know how they, people get involved with limited run games, whatever they're called, all these different companies? Yeah, yeah. 505 jumped in to publish and, I guess, do PR for them. Psyonix has in-house PR, too. So, yeah, you're a little confused there, and I don't know what their financial health is, but I do know that Control is definitely the biggest game they've ever published. So, excited to see more of it. Chris, do you want to begin or do I want to begin? I have no ulterior motives today. No, okay, so uh, I'll just, I'll start. Atari Flashback Classics comes to Vita with all new trophies, rankings, and multiplayer support, bringing players together. Combined with an amazing archive of classic artwork, make Atari Flashback uh, Classic. what? Yep, I didn't, I didn't edit it at all, that's the way it says. Atari Flashback Classics, the most complete Atari collection ever seen on a handheld device. Okay, that was... It makes sense, because it's combined with an amazing archive of classic artwork, make Atari Flashback Classics. Would it be makes combined with an amazing art? I don't know. I, I'm already having an aneurysm. <laughs> it's too early for this. Battle Princess Madeline, which I already felt like we, we read, yeah. comes to PS4. Battle Princess Madeline is a game that follows the journey of a young knight in training Madeline and her ghostly pet frog, or I'm sorry, pet dog, Fritzy. It's not a frog. Tevin. They set out on a journey to save her kingdom and her family from the clutches of an evil wizard. Beats Fever comes to PS4. Beats Fever is a VR rhythm game where players enjoy stylish music and catch incoming notes. With licensed tracks from renowned music agencies. <laughs> That's an interesting choice. Yeah. Easy and intuitive gameplay, high quality graphics, and immersive environments. This title is for players of all age groups. Beats Fever. Beats Fever. Cook, serve, delicious, too. There's, <laughs> one, exclama there's one exclamation point after delicious and then two more after two. Whoa. Comes to PS4. The highest selling and most intense restaurant sim ever made is back. Deceptively easy to learn, but incredibly difficult to master. Cook, serve, delicious, too, is your journey to being the best chef in the world with your small but humble restaurant. <laughs> Dreamwalker comes to, v uh, comes to PlayStation Vita. Arrange Dreamland's maze of clouds to shepherd Walker peacefully to sunrise while avoiding sleep-robbing alarm clocks, early birds, and nightmares. Yeah, do you think it's nightmares? It's two words here. Do you think they're talking about, like, horses? I think it's probably horses. Okay. I, it'd be a weird typo. Well, would it? 
<laughs> Enjoy 50 unique levels, hours of play, two bonus uh, games, and a rich soundtrack. All right. Weird. Gun Club VR comes to PSVR. Take to the range with an arsenal of the world's most powerful weapons in Gun Club VR. Addictive gameplay and unsurpassed realism. Unsurpassed realism. They said it on me. Combine <laughs> to make Gun Club VR the ultimate virtual weapon simulator. The only thing missing is the smell of the gunpowder. Welcome to America. Look at that. Hellfront Honeymoon comes to PS4. Hellfront Honeymoon is an intense twin-stick action strategy game to be enjoyed with friends over, over a six-pack of fruit juice. One screen, one winner. Short, intense matches. Play solo or co-op missions or go all-out deathmatch. Yeah, it doesn't say go or go all-out deathmatch. Go all-out deathmatch. I guess that makes sense. This, by the way. I got a new prescription of glasses, so I'm like trying Oh, to you got a new prescription? Yeah. So I'm like now you're really struggling. Yeah, now I'm like double struggling. Oh man, oh boy. London Detective Mysteria comes to Vita. This one sounds right up your alley. Her Majesty's birthday was to be the heiress of House Whitley's debut into high society. But an inquiring mind begs for more than parties as she stumbles into London's darkest corners and sharpens her instincts as a detective. Oh no. Okay, this is Japanese, I think. Nippon? Nippon. Nippon? Yeah. Nippon Marathon comes to PS4. Stretch your muscles and embark upon the ultimate marathon of Japan in a crazy party racer. Hurdle barrels outrun Shiba Inu and drive out of the pads of bicycles, all while throwing fruit at your opponents and dashing across planks precariously balanced over waterfalls across Japan. What? Why didn't they call it Japan Marathon? Nippon is, I think, Japanese for Japan. Wait, so really? why didn't yeah? So why didn't they call it Japan Marathon? I, I don't wouldn't know. that have made more sense? I don't know, but there's precariously placed planks. So if you want that, very good alliteration, by the way. There, yeah, it is. It is pretty solid. One word by pa Paugi comes to PS4 and Vita. The word search puzzle with a difference. There's only one word to find. What? Complete each series of puzzles to reveal <laughs> the words that complete a quote. There are more than 600 puzzles to complete and 120 popular, funny, and inspirational quotes. All right. So there are 600 quotes, but only 120 of them are popular, oh. funny, and inspirational. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, my God. R-Type Dimensions X comes to PS4. Fight through all 14 Bido-infested stages? Uh, of, yes. Uh, yeah, Bido-infested stages of R-Type and R-Type 2 arcade classics. Choose between retro 2D graphics and audio or fully reimagined 3D graphics with revamped music tracks. Power up and strike down the evil Bido empire. Shout I, out to R-Type. Great games. Yeah, that's either Bido or Bido. I don't know. B-Y-D-O. You make your own decisions out there. Raze comes to PS4. Sprint through dynamic neon levels in the quickest time possible. Employing skills such as super speed boosts, mega jumps, drifts, stomps, and strafes to bypass obstacles and uncover shortcuts to propel yourself up the online leaderboards. But there's a catch. What the hell is this? I'm going to say it's Scintillatron. Yeah, Scintillatron 4096 comes to PS4 and Vita. Scintillatron uh, 4096 is a compelling high school... Oh. You're really out of time. I thought it was high school shooter. Ho, ho, ho. Oh. <laughs> it's a compelling high score shooter. <laughs> it, it fuses retro gameplay origins with modern pulsating visuals and a mood setting electro soundtrack. As you battle for glory in the world rankings, combo building is everything. That was so jarring when I read it. It is not a high school shooter. It's Scint Scintillatron 4096 on PS4 and Vita is not a high school shooter. It is a high score shooter. VR Apocalypse comes to PSVR. Beat the clock and squash the alien scum in this frenetic VR shooter. 
As a contractor for next-gen games in 2027, it's your job to pilot a remote telepresence drone via your trusted VR headset. Fortunately, work has picked up due to an alien invasion. The fate of the world is in your hands. Warhammer Vermintide 2 comes to PS4. Warhammer Vermintide 2 is the sequel to critically renowned Warhammer End Times Vermintide. In this epic four-player co-op game, you fight together with your friends against the forces of chaos and Skaven in, in the Warhammer fantasy battles world. <sighs> Good lord. Whatever. That was a struggle. Chris... Let's wrap up this episode with five more questions from the audience. Remember, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. That's how you can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to this episode. I put up a thread every Friday afternoon. You guys populate it. On Sundays, I grab all of that. I grab it violently, <laughs> violently, and I put it into the show. And of course, I sprinkle them in to the rest of the show as I did here today, but we'll end with five. Sure thing. Christopher Ryan wrote into us, Chris, Ooh. and said, Hi, Colin and Chris. Been following you since the early Beyond days. You guys were literally my first introduction to podcasting and video game journalism. Also, the first Patreon I've ever subscribed to. Keep up the good work. Anyway, on to my question. Have either of you been playing the Spider-Man DLC? If so, what do you think? Any thoughts on the whole Raimi suit situation or controversy that saw Insomniac address it on Twitter? Thanks all the way from Ireland. And keep fucking that chicken. Thank you very much. I appreciate your longtime support, Christopher, and I will keep fucking that chicken. Now, did you see this controversy about the DLC? I, I was aware that people wanted the Raimi suit and didn't get it. I didn't realize that there was a controversy about it. Well, Insomniac, someone tweeted at them. You know, Insomniac tweeted out about the DLC pack or whatever. Someone tweeted at them saying, well, you don't listen to, you don't listen to us. You're not listening to us. We wanted this thing. And they were basically saying, like, we listen. We just aren't going to – we can't do everything you want, basically. Yeah. And I think that it brings up an interesting kind of conflict between – not conflict, but a, a conversation we can have that I think is worthwhile to talk about, which is should we be or should developers be totally beholden to what people want? Like we both run companies. You make videos and podcasts. I make videos and podcasts and people give us feedback, but I can't act on everything that people want. Sometimes yeah. I think your feedback's wrong or yeah, I don't exactly. agree with it. You know, like so I thought it was really ballsy and bold for Insomnia to come out and say like we just, you know, we're not on the same page here. And that's just the way it goes sometimes that the customer isn't always right. So there's that. But you have been playing the DLC. What yeah, I uh, I haven't played the most recent. The the last is is the last I don't one think out it's even out yet. No, it's not. It's not out. I played the first one, and I I kind of I'll admit I kind of just watched somebody play the the second one because I just I don't have the game installed anymore, and I just didn't feel like downloading it. But I mean, I'm enjoying it. I'm a little. I really would love to see the the, the Raimi suit in that in the game, admittedly. But I mean, it's not that big of a. It's not. It's just a suit, you know. Maybe for the sequel. I want to play the DLC before the end of the year. I have the codes for all three of them, but it's not really a huge priority of mine right now. Yeah. I feel like I wish it came out a little... I mean, it's it's not ideal, but like I have to get back into learning how to play Spider-Man again. You yeah, know? no, exactly. Which is a big to-do. But, you know, I think the DLC looks really good. It's really popular in keeping the game relevant. And I think it's important that, you know, developers and publishers continue to have realistic conversations with their audiences to let them know that not everything's possible. You know, it's just it's not everything's possible. And... I always want people to give me as much feedback as possible. What's working, what isn't working. I, I try to, you know, when something's not working on Patreon or something's not working with the podcast services or whatever, I try to my best to ameliorate those problems. But sometimes when it's about feedback about content itself or the way we do things, I'm not always going to agree with you or it's not always going to be actionable. Like a lot of people want this to be a video podcast. Maybe one day it will be a video podcast, but that's not possible right now. So you can keep asking for it and I'm hearing you. But it's not possible. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, like I'm not set up for it. There, We don't have the tools for it. I don't have the bandwidth for it. Usually when companies do something, whether it's CLS or whether it's Insomniac, there's a reason for the way we're doing things. So we appreciate your patience. And I know a lot of people support Insomniac in that as well. And they have a big enough dick right now with Spider-Man where they can kind of say and do what they want. I'm sure that maybe they would be treating their audience a little bit differently if they were, say, Bethesda. Absolutely. <laughs> Goes without saying. 
James Gallus wrote in and said, with games like The Division 2 and Anthem coming out, I was wondering about the way reviews are done for these games. With games switching to a service model and the product always changing, is it logical to score at once when it comes out? The original Division was not great off the start. You could have justified a 6 or 7 out of 10. But over time, it was vastly improved. How do you think the games as a service could be reviewed better? What do you think of this? The idea of, this is why I hate scores. Yeah, this no, is why exactly. I hate review scores. Because... It solidifies in all for all of time the way you feel about a game right now, but you're like unable to change it without there being a problem later on. Like Metacritic won't reflect change scores, for instance. And at IGN, we dealt with that as well by reviewing games later on. I think that I just saw that IGN re-reviewed Warframe, for instance, which came out around the time PS4 launched, and then they reviewed it again, and I think gave it a better score because yeah. it's a different game now. So what do you think about that, treating games as a service and kind of how they adapt and evolve? I think we just need to start I – th- I think our reviews probably need to be like that. Also, I think our reviews need to evolve also. If you're a Warframe player, I think you should maybe, hey, if you're writing a review for Warframe, you should be a Warframe player and you should keep tabs on this game and you should just keep up to date with the game because otherwise it's out of date. Like a review for for The Division doesn't apply today. Like it just doesn't. Right. No, absolutely. And it's always about, and this is why games media is so strange because, and and it's, it's the same way everywhere. I put up reviews that embargo on my YouTube channel. I'm not removing myself from that equation, but... It's like you got to be first. You got to hit the embargo. You got to have eyeballs. Games sell most of the copies that they sell within two or three weeks. So like, by if you like really took your time, like there's some people like Angry Joe. I don't really watch his stuff, but there's some people that put up reviews weeks later, yeah. and they have the audience that expe- accepts and, and expects that they're gonna do that. But if you're like really taking your time after embargo, watching how a game evolves, dealing with a few patches, then they put your review up. It's kind of irrelevant at that point. So it's a bit of a catch twenty two for the creators as well. Yeah. But I feel like we do have to adapt the way we look at games and game reviews and criticism with the way games are also changing because. You know, it wasn't that long ago, PS2 era, really, and Xbox era and GameCube era, where games were frozen. That was what they were. They were not going to change. They couldn't change. And now they change all the time. So we have to adapt. Yeah, it's an interesting question that I'm not sure really anybody has a solid solution for. Christian Coulter wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, I was thinking of the great philosopher Ice Cube, which said in 22 Jump Street, I'm wearing $800 shoes, which you can't even see, calling out the overblown budgets in Hollywood movies. This got me thinking, are games there? Are they going there? Do we need them to go there? Are people working in AAA studios wasting their time arranging and rearranging every beard hair for Kratos, every moss twig in Uncharted, every line in every Spider-Man suit? Do we benefit from perfections like this? Or would we have benefited more if we got one more game this generation from all of those creators? Now I'm going to unsettle you. Cheers from Transylvania. Huh. That is unsettling. Well, that's a little scary. For the longest time, I thought that was a fake place. I think it's in Romania, if I recall. Christian, thank you for your letter. Appreciate you. Stay safe. Have your garlic and your laurels. Don't go outside at night. We all saw Castlevania on Netflix. Great show. Yeah, fantastic. What do you think about this? This is interesting to me. The basic gist of his question, Chris, is are these guys getting too obsessive and does it really matter? Like if God of War was 90% as good, would it have really changed God of War being still a great game? And could we have gotten a little something a little sooner from them? etc. and so on. My whole take is that this is a war of escalation and that all these things really do matter. But I understand the other perspective as well, that you might want another game that you can't get from some of these studios. I don't know. Do you want uh, another Fallout pretty soon after the last one that has God rays coming through mountains? I think it does matter. I think people are very, especially now, people are very hypercritical and they're very quick to point out, look at this texture. It's repeated all across this wall here. Whoa, how lazy. You know, we've got a, very, we've got a, a kind of internet culture of hyper like cynical criticism going on right now and any hint of slacking any hint of cut corners is going to it has the potential to really damage 
the reputation of a game. And it's not necessarily that a game has to be almost done. Like, you could have probably gotten away with fewer beard hairs on Kratos, but ultimately it's like, just let the developers finish their game when they want to finish their game. Yeah, I think you have to give them time. I think that these things do matter. I think that it draws in new audiences and it creates loyalty if the games are really quite sufficient in everywhere in every possible way, yeah. whether it's graphically or audi- you know, audibly, whatever the case might be. So I understand what he's saying, but I think that what you're kind of looking to explore, Christian, is the more double A space or the A space where... You know, like, and I'm not calling these games out for a lack of quality, but in my experience, it's like Sniper Elite or something like that. That's yeah. not really quite AAA, but it's good enough. Well, like Just Cause. Fun. Yeah, Just Cause. Yeah, another- Just Cause is a great yeah. example. It's a, it's a fun game, but it's not going to be revered like God of War or Red Dead Redemption. Like, re- these games stand out specifically because of all that effort that's put into them. That's the reason why they're benchmarks of this year. That's right. why they stood out this year. That's why they were both very uh, viable contenders for Game of the Year. And Just Cause is just not going to be. I also think it's interesting that, you know, we often complain. We can't have it both ways, right? We often complain about how games aren't done and we get the big day one patches as big as the game filed. We're getting DLC that was clearly in development while the game was being made and all these complaints. But then at the on the other hand, Christian brings up the point of like, well, are they putting too much detail in? Well, I feel like maybe we're sending, I'm not saying Christian is doing it. His question is totally legitimate, but I think generally maybe we're sending mixed signals. Well, what do you want? Do you want more content? Do you want it to be beautiful? Do you want it quicker? Do you want no patches? Like you can't have it all, all, all ways, you know? So something to keep in mind, Christian. Thank you for your question. And again, be safe in Transylvania. Christian Ruas wrote into us and said, with Capcom's recent decision to put in-game ads in Street Fighter V that, in my opinion, are quite garish and intrusive, I feel the discussion of how AAA game companies treat their player bases is a pertinent one. What are your thoughts on things like loot boxes, in-game ads, and microtransactions and fully-priced games? Do you think raising the price of games will stop these actions or just increase them? I'm not sure where I stand. Have a good day. Merry Christmas. We're talking about different things here. In-game ads are not new. In-game ads have been in-game since the 80s. I mean, I think back to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game was a fucking big-ass Pizza Hut ad, as people might recall. Crazy Taxi on Dreamcast was had Pizza Hut ads and other ads for it that, you know, bring me to the KFC. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. clearly, you know, some sponsorships there as well. So not necessarily new, but they have to treat them with care. And loot boxes and microtransactions are a little bit newer. So let's separate these three things. How do you kind of feel about these things? How do you take them? Especially when he's asking, Christian Ruas is asking, Mr. Ruas, in fully priced games, in $60 games. Do you think that these games, these things are appropriate? My instinct is, is to say no, specifically because Fortnite is free and is making a boatload of money off of what we would consider to be kind of traditional DLC. Like, it's just skins and stuff that you can buy immediately or like, or a, a season pass. That And season passes have been around for a while. I think probably like since like 2010 or like 2011, something like that. I think Uncharted 2 had a season pass, if I'm not mistaken. My immediate instinct is, no, keep them out of $60 releases. But at the same time, you're basically asking developers and, and publishers to cap their monetization if you do that. And I, I don't know if it's reasonable necessarily from a business mo- as a business to be like, hey, we have potential to make money from this game even after it's released. Let's not do that. Like, I can kind of see every angle of this. But as a person who pays full price for a game, yeah, I, I want the full game. I don't want to have nonsense pay-to-win garbage or, like, stuff that's in the game that I can't access because I didn't fork over an extra five bucks. It's definitely tedious and annoying. I agree with you that we have to, I guess, separate what we're talking about. It's important, right? A $60 game, it should be a standalone product that can be playable and should be playable fully potentially for a very long time without any more money being spent, whether on a loot box or a microtransaction, DLC, whatever the case might be. But I also think we have to ask ourselves a different question. 
we bring up Spider-Man a few times here on this episode. The Division we brought up a few times on this episode. I made fun of The Division 2 at Ubisoft's E3 press conference for announcing their DLC plans before the game was even coming out. And like like when the game was announced, like 10 minutes later, they were like, and here's the DLC plan. And I was like, this is fucking insane. And people came at me. And most people were like, well, you're wrong because this is showing us that they're going to support the game after the fact for a long period of time. So your initial investment's worth it. You break that $60 investment and then you get these $19.99 or $10.99, whatever the case there these DLC packs. And I'm like, okay, I understand that. And my whole thing with kind of microtransactions and loot boxes and stuff is as long as it doesn't break the game, as long as you can go in and have a good experience playing Battlefront 2 or whatever, Battlefield 1 or Call of Duty, and you don't have to buy these things, I have no problem with it. Like, I, I really don't. If that's a way for them to generate extra revenue, that's fine. My fear is, is that by us saying, well, they raise the price, which they are going to next generation to $69.99 or even $79.99, and that kind of eliminates the microtransactions, I fear that you're going to get both, you know? Yeah. That you're going to get the more expensive game, and you're going to still have these things built into them, as long as they're not necessary, as long yeah. as the game plays fine and is fair, you know, especially in multiplayer environments. So if, for instance, like, who cares if the loot boxes have, like, you know, aesthetic things or you know, new guns yeah, that don't yeah. really change the way the game plays. Yeah, you know? I think most people in, in multiplayer spaces are fine with anything that doesn't grant it inherent player advantage. That was the issue with the Battlefront thing, is that it actually did. My thing is, it's it's not necessarily that loot boxes damage, or that they necessarily damage the game, but they I do think they compromise aspects of its design, like how like the progression system in uh, Assassin's Creed, for instance. Like, I, I recall that was... The most recent Assassin's Creed game, which I did not play, keep that totally Odyssey. transparent. I heard that there were loot boxes in the single player, which is the game, and that they sped up player or character progression. But the only reason that you would have, like, if you're going to put something in your game that's worth paying for, it has to come at the expense of convenience. Like, basically, the game has to be testing your patience if you're going to be paying for something. And that's my concern, really, is that we're going to get more games that are a bit more tedious and just more annoying to deal with. And then we're just going to be like, OK, I guess I guess I'll pay five dollars for this boost because it's taken me 90 hours to grind past this level in Skyrim 2 or whatever the hell. Right. And it's funny because with Odyssey, what you brought up, that is a good example of people really getting their patience tried, like you were saying, in a single player experience where... Yeah. You know, is it predatory? Is the design angling towards this? If the design was, you know, created in a vacuum without worrying about this, would it have looked like this? I think those are legitimate questions to ask. Yeah. And you have to let the companies and the publishers know whether or not you support them or not in these endeavors. You know, I was a little put off. I didn't play Odyssey either, but I've been reading about how long it's taking people to, to max out and all that kind of stuff. And that sucks. But it's also a single-player game where I'm like, that's like the least of my worries. If it's an encapsulated single-player experience and yeah, they're doing yeah, all sorts of shit, I'm like, I don't care. That's, like that, the, that's the other side right. of it is that it's ultimately not really affecting the integrity of the game, I suppose. But yeah, it really is all in the design. And I, I'm, I'm concerned about how games are going to be designed with this mindset going forward. Right. And I think that that's the major concern right, uh, right now, rather, which is the design does seem to be taking into account these various things. But that wasn't the case before. And that is cause for yeah. concern. As far as the advertisements in Street Fighter V, I, I didn't include that in the news, although I did want to include this letter. I've seen that. It does seem a little intrusive. You can turn it off in Street Fighter V. But again, is it a way for them to make extra money? I assume so. They're promoting, from what I can tell in Street Fighter V right now, their own content, so they're not really making any extra revenue. I'm sure it's also a test bed so that they can prove it works so that they can eventually make money on someone else's products. So it's something to keep an eye on. But advertisements in games, not new. And... 
you know, above that, I think that you have to kind of embrace the fact that, well, games are going to be monetized in different ways. If you have a free-to-play game like Fortnite, which we hate, you know, we jokingly hate it. I've actually never played it. I'm sure it's fine. That's a free-to-play game where it's got to be heavily monetized, and we don't want to see that kind of stuff seeping into $60 games, and then you have every right to be upset. Yeah. So I think you have to take things on a case-by-case basis. I think Fortnite's actually probably one of the better examples, just because it is free-to-play, and you can jump into it and not have to put any money down to play the core experience, and there's nothing that you can buy that puts you at an advantage. It's all it's all strictly cosmetic, and I'm actually kind of baffled that more um, studios haven't just taken from that model, especially given how successful it is. It confused the hell out of me that Call of Duty Black Ops 4 just didn't put their Battle Royale mode out for free. Why yeah. not just monetize the way Fortnite does it and make bil- like billions of dollars off of basically nothing but skins? You got to experiment at the same time. It's what we talked about before, where we're getting this crush of shit now, right? Like free and paid games. They can't all compete in this space. Now that Red Dead Online is activated, now that Call of Duty's out, there's gonna be a lot of suffering. Yeah, but like it'll be it, it would be a very suffering. it'd be a very interesting model to see if certain modes of certain games are free to play. But if you want the full experience, like even Fortnite has a paid version. Like there's a player versus environment thing that's like more co-op oriented that you you have to pay for. It'd be interesting to see Call of Duty or like even like more or Battlefield go down that kind of road where, hey, here's a battle royale mode. It's free, and you can jump into like a fully fledged single player campaign. You can jump into a fully fledged like team deathmatch multiplayer suite for just be forty more dollars. That'd be an interesting uh, model to follow. I'd like to see people explore this more. Yeah. I think the people that I think the company rather the publisher that can really explore this most effectively is EA Sports. And I know that they make bank by selling Madden every year and FIFA every year, but I really do believe that you would engender so much goodwill if you just set made an a platform and charge for roster updates and some new tweaks. And you just played basically the same version of FIFA where you didn't have to make that investment that I feel like maybe you'd make more on the back end. But maybe I'm foolish to say that because FIFA with microtransactions alone with FIFA Ultimate Team and all that, I think that's their biggest profitable thing. In addition to the fact that they sell like 12 million copies of the game a year or something like that. So, and we were talking about my PS4 life before. One of the things that they exposed was I think FIFA 15 or FIFA 16 had something like 25 million players. That's insane. You know, that's insane. So people are, you know, paying for these things. So I think that we are in the we are in the complaining minority. And I try to not be that. I try to be mindful of that. Like, yeah. spend your money how you want to spend your money. It's really up to you, you know. But there is a predatory angle to things. And I think, to your point, we were talking about online passes, which was a really pernicious thing in the PS3 era to try to get you to not sell your game back, for instance. Things have worked their way out evolutionarily because people were like, no. There were <laughs> certain things where people were like, no. And it, it worked. So just keep saying no. And hopefully it'll continue to work. And we're going to see a bunch of losers in February and March. And we're going to see how it all plays out with them as well. You know, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. One more question, though, Chris. One more. One more question. My computer's asking me if I want to update my warranty. I don't. Don't do that. It says, hello, Colin and Chris. I'm a gaming newbie who has inspired to get back into gaming after many years after watching Colin's interview with Dave Rubin. Colin was nuanced on both gaming and politics, and that resonated with me. Well, thank you so much, Chris, and welcome. My question, what is one must-have game for PS4, regardless of the year it was released? I'll be sure to recommend CLS content and Patreon support to my family and friends. Keep up the great work, guys. Well, thank you so much for your kind words, Chris, and welcome to the club, and welcome to Sacred Symbols. You know, the game that comes... I know what you're going to say. The game that comes to mind for me is actually Rezogun, and Rezogun was a launch game made by a studio in Finland called Housemark, studio I have a great affection for. And Rezogun came, so came out November 2013, and it's a really perfect arcade game highly replayable high score chasing very cheap to have right now i think it was free on playstation plus at one point 
And I think both then and now, it's really one of the greatest examples of pure gameplay on PlayStation 4 and one of the great games on PS4. And I highly recommend it. People were crazy when I said before the PS4 came out when I had experience with all these launch games. This is the strongest launch game. Stronger than Killzone. Stronger than Assassin's Creed. Stronger than mm -hmm. whatever. Watch Dogs and all these things. It really is. And so, you know, Chris, if you're looking for a, an accessible, really highly playable, addictive, and affordable game on PlayStation 4, I have to direct you towards Housemarque's Resogun. That's my answer. It's not a bad one. I think I'd probably choose either Spider-Man or God of War. Oh, that surprised me that you didn't say Doom. I didn't say Doom because uh, that's too predictable. Oh, okay. But uh, Fair enough. I, would also I, appreciate I would also recommend Doom. I appreciate that. But yeah, God of War is just something else. And it's as far as a PS4 game that you must have, I would I would argue that that's pretty high up there. I think Spider-Man, if you're a newbie, I think Spider-Man's actually pretty accessible. But yeah, it's definitely between those two. And I think those two are very well worth your money. There's a lot of content in those two packages. Yeah, great examples. And if you're, yeah, again, I, I think Spider-Man's a really, really great example, Chris, a really great recommendation for someone who's kind of newer to games coming back into the fold, needs something accessible. We don't want to recommend you Bloodborne. We don't want to, re I don't want to recommend you Uncharted because I think you should play them all, you know, stuff like yeah. that. So yeah, Spider-Man, another great pull. And if you're looking for some, we brought it up earlier, Detroit Become Human is another great example of what games have become. Maybe you're not familiar with these types of more adventure and, and, and choice-based games. So there's a lot for you to explore. So, you know, get on PSN, look for those recommendations. There's a lot of websites that have done top 25 and top 50. You know, PS4 is so well populated now that you have a lot of options. So definitely get out there, get on social media and hit people up, go to Metacritic. You're going to get a lot of interesting recommendations that way. So yeah, our recommendations, Chris says Spider-Man. I say Resogun. That will give you a nice AAA experience from Chris's perspective, a nice indie experience from my perspective, and a good way for you to start your PlayStation 4 experience. Welcome again to Sacred Symbols. Chris, let's wrap it up. Sure thing. I'm dying over here. Yeah, he's. <laughs> you've, you've been like blowing your nose constantly. Yeah, I've I'm going to cut them all out, but I'm, I apologize, and I thank Chris for his patience. I didn't want you guys to go any further without an episode because we haven't done a new one in so long. Like, a, we, we put one up every week, but like a news, a news, you know, worthy. Yeah, news one. Uh, sacred symbols. I know that, yeah, I don't want to disappoint you guys and let you down, but I've got to go back to bed or something now. So I appreciate Chris's patience with that. I appreciate all of you guys listening to me being all stuffed up. I'll be better next time. We were, we were going to record the next week's episode after this, but we're just going to punt yeah. And do it in a few days because I, I, I yeah, he's, I he's on the verge of death right here. Thank you guys for your patience. Thank you guys for your love. Remember, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins last stand. We really do appreciate it. It's a great way for you to get exclusive podcasts, including exclusive episodes of Sacred Symbols. You can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to us. You get every ac access rather to every episode of the show three days early and without ads and many more perks. Without your guys' support over there, we simply cannot do this. So please do consider supporting us over there if you have the money to spare. If not, listen to us on free feeds. Listen to those ads. I'm sorry that some of them are awkwardly placed. Can't do anything about that. We'll continue to give you your feedback, however, to my uh, my people. I guess I can say my people. Oh, yeah, you can. And, uh, you know, leave us nice reviews as well. We, we really do appreciate that and spread the word of Sacred Symbols. We thank you so much. If we don't hear, if you don't hear from us, rather, or we don't speak to you again, happy holidays. And uh, we'll see you next week for more Sacred Symbols. Chris, thank you for your time. Of course. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is fan-supported over at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and I want to thank you from the very bottom of my heart for your incredible kindness and generosity. Morgan Ashley, Sean Battershaw, Martin Beck, Fred Bentz, Michael Betts, Eric Bishop, David Blodel, Mark Boggio, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixey, Matthew Brousseau, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Alex Cabrera, Brian Cacciatolo, Will Caldwell, Luis Cancato, William O'Carroll, Matthew Carter, Brian Chan, Travis Chandler, Sean Chandler, Kenneth Char, David Chestnut, Simon Conception Jr., Brad Cooley, Cutter Crow, Nick Cummings, Daniel D'Amour, Daniel Delanicos, Travis DePew, Mitchell Durkash, David Ellis, Albert Escobar, Brian Fink, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Stefano Fontana, 
Hannah, Fotios Frangos, Connor Gagian, Alexander Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Daniel Glassford, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Ryan Greenwood, Miranda Grubba, Andres Guzman, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Asa Haas, Azan Isa Al Raisi, Josh Yeager, Justin Yeager, Paul Joyce, Greg Julifs, Jeremy Key, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kitredge, Christian Larson, Jackson Lastiqua, Donald Laws, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Ashlyn Lee, Anthony Lencioni, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Mark Liberto, Aaron Litwiller, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Josh M., Ryan T. Mandel, Peter Mark, Joe McPartland, Wyatt McVeigh, Dennis Meinchin, Andrew Mendoza, Christopher Middling, Albert Miranda, Patrick Malloy, Betty Ann Moriarty, Abe Mukhtar, Brian Nietzsche, Josh Netzel, Adam Nix, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jorge Palomino, Todd Paxton, Brendan Peavy, Marius S. Peterson, Enrique Perez, James Perone, Eric A. Peterson, Jason Pettit, Matthew Plaster, Lawrence F. Prokop, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Jonathan Rice, Toby D. Riemenschneider, Austin Riley, Atenogenis Rojas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, John Scholes, Christopher Schaefer, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Joshua Smallwood, John Tamanillo, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Tam Tran, Adam Van Kuren, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Mike Wayant, Tyler Woodall, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Supershot ST, Ethan, Throw7, Infinite, Beric, Mubarak, Richter86, Dav9834, Titus Rex, Donk2015, Gavin, and Random Guy Radio. Crash Team Racing. Thank you.